Welcome to The Red Podcast, a place for bold, inspired, outrageously courageous, and just a tad bit naughty women leaders come together. I'm Elaine Kalila, and I'm the founder of the Priestess Presence Temple, a sisterhood of over 80,000 women. For the past 25 years, I've had the great pleasure and privilege of supporting, inspiring, catalyzing, and initiating women to remember who they are. The Red Podcast is a place where you can come to lean into your edges, listen for that which yearns to be expressed more fully through you, and to say yes to the places that probably scare you. More importantly, I'm going to be talking with some amazing women who are spiritual and grounded, and we're going to be chatting about what it takes for each one of us to step into the legacy of our purpose and fully bring it to the world that we're here to co-create. Your presence is a gift, so I say bring it. We're here to listen to your red, your leading edge, that place of evolution within you. Hope you enjoy the conversations. Well, hello, hello, hello. I'm so excited today to be back with another episode of The Red Podcast. And um, as you know, I seek to bring onto the podcast people that I have been connecting with in the world, people that I have felt um, bring tremendous value to what they are doing, both as leaders, as women, as those who are kind of a little bit evolutionary and revolutionary of spirit. And today I am super, super excited because I have with me a woman that I have followed over the years under her tag name of Aeolian Heart. She is an incredible astrologer, not just an astrologer though. She's also a magician and an alchemist, Rachel Caperso. Hello, my love. Hello, Elaine. Thank you so much for having me. You're so welcome. So let me give you a little backstory here. Rachel has been someone that I have turned to personally for um support and also for guidance because what I really appreciate about her work in the world is is that she is somebody who is not scared to dance in the shadows and the light. She is somebody who um, offers a tremendous amount. So if you haven't yet started following her, please do because not only can you find her on Patreon, but you can sign up for her through her newsletter because she sends the most incredible insights and readings. Um, she's also been a contributing astrologer onto the Priestess Presence um, Temple Facebook page where she's come and served in that capacity too. And the reason that I wanted to invite you on for many, many reasons, but one of them has been that I, I actually started studying with um, Rachel a little bit more deeply last year because I was being called into the interface between archetypal work, astrology, magic, and alchemy. And this is really Rachel's sweet spot. I have to tell you. So I, I'm really, I'm really here, my love, to, um, to open the conversation with you around for those of us who maybe don't speak astrology that well and are curious about the interface between astrology and magic and alchemy. If we can just sort of talk about those three interfacing and the reason I'm saying that is because I've heard you talk about it before and I love the way that you explain it. And what you have to know about Rachel is that she is a Virgo, <laughs> Virgo son, which I super appreciate because it, it there's a way that you have of organizing language. So let's go with that question and we'll, we'll see where it leads us. But magic, alchemy, archetypes and astrology, what can you tell us? Well, um, to begin with, these three branches of esoteric study are not randomly associated simply because of modern tastes and sensibility. It's certainly not the new age that has correlated these three threads. These three branches, astrology, alchemy, and magic, are the three sciences or the three sister sciences of hermeticism. And hermeticism is an ancient, ancient philosophy that goes all the way back to ancient Egypt and even beyond. The thing about hermeticism is that we don't actually know how old it is. The true origins of hermetic philosophy remain shrouded in mystery. It's something beyond our historical record. Um, but the legend goes, according to the ancient Egyptians, which is as far back as we can trace these threads, 
um, that the great god Thos, who was the god of eternity, gave humanity as a generous gift the knowledge of writing and language, but also gave the ancient Egyptians this philosophy, which was the philosophy of the nature of reality itself. So to understand humanity's relationship to nature, humanity's relationship to the cosmos, humanity's relationship to their own divine nature. And that's essentially what hermetic philosophy is all about. Mm -hmm. It's through that lens that we can study nature and its processes to better understand ourselves and to also create, not just create material things like the Great Pyramids, which is pretty tremendous, but also to create art and to create science and to create a relationship with ourselves that creates evolution in consciousness. So the three branches of hermeticism that Thoth was said to offer was astrology, which is the study of the stars and our relationship to the stars and the motions of the planets, uh, the cycles of time, and how those cycles of time actually give us vital information about our own consciousness, our own evolution, our own development. The other branch was alchemy. And this alchemy is actually, to put it really simply, alchemy is just a very lucid observation of the creative principle in the universe itself. So everything in nature is undergoing this process of rising and falling, ebbing and flowing, being born and then dying. And so when you observe that, when you zoom in, at a microcosmic level and you observe that creative process that's flowing through everything, you get the science of alchemy. And the idea of alchemy is to actually apply that knowledge to your own life in a conscious way. So actually sort of mimicking nature or mirroring nature in order to create things like, again, the great pyramids or art, um, healing, medicine, other things that, you know, we actually uh, refine through our own human hands or our own human imagination. So alchemy is just nature and its processes. But when you become aware of them, it becomes this really amazing tool for transformation of the inner world, healing, medicine making, art, and the list goes on and on. The other branch of the hermetic sciences, the last sister was magic. And magic is simply the idea that you have a divine spark within you that makes you a creator. Like the creator of this universe, mm -hmm. you being created by that creator of the universe, you too are imbued with that spark of creativity. And therefore... Magic is sort of the art and the science of learning how to create circumstances, opportunities, uh, to have reality become flexible so that you can evolve along with divine will and to open up the universe in ways that you might not be able to if you just completely at 100% submitted to circumstance. So the idea of being creator of circumstance rather than creature of circumstance, that's really what magic is all about. And we access magic in the most primal way through imagination. Mm. And magic and imagination share that same root word, image. So magic is actually uh, the study of how all form, whether it's a tree or a, a table, <laughs> or our own physical bodies, all form has its origins in an etheric, invisible world of image, images. And everything that begins as an image then sort of emanates outward and eventually becomes manifest into physical reality. I think that um, I read in many yoga books about how it's very clear in yogic philosophy that the difference between spirit and matter is simply the density of wavelength 
the density of vibration. And so that is absolutely inherent and innately understood in hermetic philosophy as well. So in order for something to become manifest in physical reality, it has to start off as a very light, very quick Hmm. vibration, which is something that we call imagination. It's within us and it comes from that divine spark. Um, So one thing that's really interesting about this way of looking at reality is that it acknowledges from the absolute core that our inner world is going to be reflected in our external reality. So it's it's described with a really simple axiom, as within, so without. Acknowledging that there's always a reflexive relationship about what's going on within us, in our imagination, which is far more than just our fantasy life. You know, our imagination is truly how we process everything. Mm-hmm. We work through all things through imagination. Our ability to use numbers is imaginative. Our ability to uh, sort of plan a day or plan a phone call is imaginative. It's it's everything from the most complex, fantastical abilities that we have to the most mundane. But everything begins in imagination. So what images we're holding become manifest in our external reality. And then the other side of this axiom is as above, so below. So as above, so below, as within, so without. Describing how we are responsible for acknowledging the interdependence and the reflexivity that is present in our reality. So the as above, so below is a beautiful understanding that what is going on at the highest level of creation in the divine mind is something that is also reflected here in human life on earth and that there is a relationship between the two. So that old idea from the Bible that, you know, humanity was created in God's image, that is as above, so below. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that edifies you as a human being. It reminds you that, oh yeah, I am I am a divine child of heaven and earth. I'm a divine child. I was made in the image of all that is above. And therefore, I am also a creator. So therefore, a magician. <laughs> like I am actually responsible for cultivating my imagination, for guiding and directing my imagination. That doesn't mean that we're in control of everything. Like that's not uh, an idea that you are master of all reality or that you're in control of all circumstance. But we certainly have a tremendous amount of creative choice and creative control over what we are cultivating within us, what what seeds we are planting, mm-hmm. what images we are holding, what we are choosing to allow to, to flourish within us. And according to hermetic philosophy, that is going to be reflected. Whatever's within you will be reflected outside of you. And this knowledge is becoming fairly common, pretty popular, and that's what we call the new age. For all of its, you know, chaos, <laughs> for all of its chaos, what I kind of consider to be the new age is the hermetic revival, you know, at its core, just bringing it back to common awareness to everyday people everywhere that, yes, your internal experience is the source of what is manifesting in your external reality. And so alchemy, astrology, and magic, they all rest upon this foundation of as above, so below, as within, so without. Um, And that is what hermetic philosophy at its core is all about. It's a lens of perception, and it's a very living philosophy. It's a living art. It's a living science. It's a living philosophy. It has never died. It's something that has been weaving its threads throughout human civilization for as far back as we have recorded and it goes even farther than that and it's beautiful too because it's universal wisdom even when you find cultures that have not technically been touched by the ancient egyptian religions you still find the threads of hermetic philosophy because it is the nature of reality itself it's the nature of the cosmos And so it seems to be 
at least from my perspective, almost something that's it's a perfect reflection of our of our DNA. It's mm-hmm. like a perception that is actually a mirror of exactly what we are. And therefore it's not exactly um it's not exactly mired in one culture or one part of the world or one period of history. It's something more vast than that. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, that's, that's how those three are related. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So now you all know why I invited Rachel on, because have you ever heard such an erudite weaving of these three very interwoven, interconnected perceptual lenses on reality? And obviously, for those of you who are connected into me, you'll know that I spend most of my life living in this particular reality within the mystery school of in the 13 Moon Mystery School, in the Rosa Mystica Mystery School, and also just within myself, I consider primarily my work to be that of the alchemist. And one of the reasons I connected in with Rachel's work was because, you know, I'm a, I'm a fiend for a good map, right? I, I, I love maps. And what excites me most is when I start to see the interwovenness and overlapping nature of the maps that we can bring together. So, for example, one of the maps that I use is that of the 13 divine feminine archetypes, right? And you've all heard me talk about those, and that's from the 13 Moon Mystery School. But what's so, of course, amazing about that is there's 12 archetypes with the central one. And what else does that map onto? Oh, the astrology, Oh, the wheel of the year. Oh, you know, and on and on and on. We can see all the different maps. And I think one of the things that is so fascinating for us, and like you said, this kind of hermetic revival or renaissance that we're in, is is that these maps, as you so beautifully said, Rachel, aren't really outside of us. They're in us. Mm-hmm. We are that map. We are actually a fractal of that information in its wholeness each and every one of us. And part of our journey, I think, as soul beings on this planet is to embody the axiom as above, so below, as within, so without, to recognize and remember what I would call us as divine humans, that we are the marriage of that divinity and humanity. Mm -hmm. And that our journey in this human life is one that is extraordinary. And that's part of the other reason I wanted to invite Rachel on, because one of the things that I notice you do a lot in your work is really, well, there's a few different things. One is I'm also in awe of the kind of classics and historical knowledge and all the things that you weave in around the mythology, but also around the history of the ideas. And I think that that's really important because we're, we're not in isolation from everything that's come before. We're, you know, we're, we're growing from what was before into the now. And then the other piece is, is that you're not afraid of the taboo. You're not afraid of the shadow. And I really think believe that we are here to balance out being shadow dancers and light bringers and that it's actually in the relationship between the shadow and the light that the juiciest work happens and so I kind of want to talk a little bit about your relationship to the shadow and why is it so important from your lensing oh wow well (laughs) from an astrological perspective really quick I mean I was born at the dawn of Pluto and Scorpio. So I'm a part of the Pluto and Scorpio generation. I also have my Saturn and Scorpio. And so just from that perspective, it's really woven into my DNA, if you will, my energetic body to reveal a tremendous amount of what is hiding in the dark. And that includes, you know, secrets, corruption, poison, as well as the mysteries Mm-hmm. Um, exploring death and, and, you know, pain and, and sorrow. So that there's that. It is written in my chart at some level that it's, it's <laughs> right. And what I will reveal about myself is, is that I have about four planets in the 12th house. And so I am also (laughs) designed to work in the dark. Like that's part of, I think that's part of why you and I probably interface is that energy. Um, My Pluto and Saturn and Scorpio are in the 12th house too. Oh, well, there you go. There you go. 12th house people. Um, And so the 12th house, for those that are not familiar, the 12th house represents Everything that is hidden in the dark, it represents the collective unconscious. 
uh, the unconscious being the key word there. Um, what is underneath the surface of waking reality? What is beneath the surface of our worldly representations? You know, it's something mm-hmm. that's deeper than what an individual can claim as well, because it's transpersonal. Uh, it, it actually surrenders that sense of individual persona for that relationship to something more vast, the collective, the collective unconscious, the, the concept of the world at large, um, all times, all places, eternity, you know, the whole human story. And so in the 12th house, there is that kind of like mythic, archetypal, ancestral wisdom. Um, and it is also a very dark and murky place because it's, it's full of, of suffering and isolation. Um, and the reason why is because it contains the whole human story and it contains all the archetypes. It's very, uh, it's whole mm-hmm. in its, in its uh, perspective and its scope. And so it does not feature the light giving archetypes that make you feel good. It's really not, it's nothing like a Hollywood movie that's trying to make you feel good. (laughs) It's the whole human story, all the mythology, all the archetypes. So all of it. Um, And that of course, you know, that does uh, give you a tremendous amount of raw material to work with as a creative. Um, But another reason that I like to acknowledge the shadow work with the shadow dance with the shadow is um because my temperament growing up i had a very melancholic and i would say depressive sort of saturnine personality my temperament has always been a little dark a little melancholy i always felt a lot of sorrow a lot of grief i always felt a lot of pain Mm-hmm. And for a very long time, this was like, a, this was a really deadening and heavy burden to carry. And so I had no choice after I explored getting, you know, help in the traditional ways. Like I went to psychologists, you know, like, and I'm not knocking psychology, but I mean, but what happened with me is the help that I was given was clumsy and mm. and totally inappropriate for what I was actually going through because I was experiencing uh, soulful and spiritual issues and I was being treated with like blunt force chemicals and really poor advice. And so in my life's journey, again, like that was not the help that I needed. And so I had to seek other means. So the things that I found were, you know, I started writing poetry when I was young. I became really immersed in art. So the transcendent experience that art can bring was a great balm for my soul. And then I found alchemy and I found magic. And magic, I didn't realize at first, was so medicinal. Like, at first, when I was very young, I had a pretty basic understanding of what magic was. It was like, oh, you want to cast spells so you can get a boyfriend, you know, just silly stuff like that. Not that you can't do that, but, like, I had no deep understanding of what Mm -hmm. magic was capable of. Um, But then I came to understand magic at a deeper level when I was about 19 or 20, And I began to understand, oh, I can actually uh, work like like art, like an artist. I can work with my pain and my sorrow and my grief and transform it, use it to heal, to decondition myself. Mm -hmm. And that's really what my initial interest in magic was, was I actually really wanted to decondition myself. Mm -hmm. Like if my mind has been sort of programmed by social norms, by propaganda, by commercials, you know, there's all this stuff that's been like shaping Mm. my consciousness very uh, brutally for this many years. Um, But there's still something inside of me that wants to be free. I decided like, I will practice magic, tap into that that innate desire to be free and work with these energies in a way that is creative and that is liberating. Mm. And that's kind of like how I I began to understand like, okay, 
the darkness, the shadow, the pain is still raw material for creativity. And of course that makes sense. Of course that's true. When we know this from art, mm-hmm. but art and magic are the same thing ultimately. I mean, that's what you learn. And so um I and then I and then I discovered alchemy. And this was several years later. <laughs> like I was a little older when I discovered alchemy. It was sort of by accident. Again, I had a very dim understanding of what alchemy was. I just saw those like wood engravings and those big puffers and like <laughs> big oil salesmen. Like I really had a silly idea of what alchemy was. And um, and that's because of the conditioning yeah. in my education, you know. Um, that it's some lesser form of chemistry. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Exactly. That's all I knew. So, um, I had the good fortune to start going to Qigong class in Mm -hmm. North Hall. And this Qigong class was taught by a man that was initiated into a lineage that came from a 5,000 year old Taoist tradition. And the only reason why this Taoist lineage was in Southern California was because of the communist takeover in China, where the temples were burned and these people were uh, refugees. They fled to save their lives. And not all of them lived. You know, this, this man who started the lineage here in Southern California, his grandmaster, his teacher, Mm. was imprisoned and was actually murdered by the communist takeover. It was a very tragic thing. And so born from this tragedy was this amazing opportunity for people in this country to be initiated into this lineage of, of wisdom. And so I thought I was just going to like learn how to be looser and more flexible. And I accidentally came into a class that was teaching me internal alchemy, Taoist internal alchemy. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what is that? You know? Yeah. And so in my physical body, I began to be instructed on how to refine my energy through mm-hmm. the Dantians, which is the, the Chinese idea of chakras. And I began to actually have tremendous shifts in my consciousness and, and different perceptions, truly magical in that way. And very humble because it was all just this very simple physical work, simple but deep, requires a lot of practice, but was not so complicated that you had to be a gymnast or some kind of great dancer to do it. It was something that really taught me so much in my physical body. And the teacher of this class, um, he had a library in the back of the school. And in the back of the library, I found this book on alchemy. It was actually the Emerald Tablet by Dennis William Hawk. And I had been doing this Taoist internal alchemy for several years at this point. And when I read this book by Dennis William Hawk on Western alchemy, it all just went like, oh my God, I actually get what alchemy is. And the body itself is the laboratory. You don't need any external tools And if you do use them, that's fine. You know, you can, you can actually do alchemy uh, physically. You can transmute organic matter and make actual medicines and spagyrics and things like that. That is totally true and very valid. But the deepest core of alchemy is a spiritual experience. It happens within the body and it is about that internal refinement of energies And so in order to really appreciate alchemy, um, you have to love the shadow because that's the raw material that is transformed into the light, into the gold. And so you can understand like that in alchemy, they teach that the soul is the feminine aspect of consciousness and the spirit is the masculine. So the spirit is that part of you that's always trying to ascend, to rise, to reach for the stars. <laughs> it's that part of us. But the soul is this quiet, receptive, deep place within us that loves all experience, loves mm. sorrow and loves beauty and loves joy, but loves sorrow too, because it's, it's uh, another dimension of feeling mm-hmm. and it gives you character and it makes you more prismatic and it, it transmutes into compassion. 
And then the final uh, like initiation I had into the shadow that was really deep for me, aside from Jung and all of that, which is, of course, like uh, tremendous, you know, Carl Jung's ideas on the shadow. He was himself an alchemist mm-hmm. and a great hermetic philosopher, um, but truly madly deeply, uh, Oscar Wilde wrote this amazing essay when he was in prison. Mm-hmm. He was put in prison for his homosexual acts. You know, we all know that story. Um, But the thing is, is that that story is often like, it's oversimplified. Mm. And he's turned into this, like, you know, this pitiful victim. But that's not exactly how he took it. Like, Mm. it was unjust. And yet it was also a part of his time. And he knew that. He knew what time he was living in. He knew what the laws of the land were. And he he took his punishment like a man. <laughs> like He actually held his head high and he considered himself to be like a political prisoner. And in the great tradition of political prisoners, he was going to do some really great writing while he was in prison and actually transform his punishment into something worthwhile. And it was extremely hard for him because he had only lived a life of pleasure and decadence up to this point. And so at first he wasn't even allowed to write. And at first his suffering was so great that he could not actually make any meaning out of it. And following this time, he finally reached a new level of consciousness. He actually, it was the pain and the suffering and the numbness and the, and the torment that he was undergoing that actually pulled something out of him. It's an essay called De Profundis. And it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever read. It's like a great yoga text. Mm -hmm. And it's all about how he had lived his life only half, only half aware, half awake, avoiding sorrow, avoiding pain, actually being a total dick to people that had any suffering at all, just ignoring them, shutting them up, shutting them down leaving them behind. (laughs) Like, I don't want to hear that. Go away. You're making me feel uncomfortable. And he would just run from anything that wasn't just hedonistic pleasure, that wasn't sparkly, that wasn't shiny. And when he actually found the sorrow within him, what came through is the most beautiful, soulful, deep, wise, and, and lovely writing that I have ever enjoyed. And so, I realized that this is why we have to be whole. We cannot ignore the dark side of life or the pain of life. And it's not because we want that. He's not foolish enough to say, I want to be here. I like it this way. No, that's not the case. But instead he realized like, no, there's something in my soul that needed this in order to become fully human, in order to become fully what I am meant to be mm. it's truly it's it's worth reading and it's not that long de profundis by oscar wilde so if anyone's ever feeling like why me <laughs> like, why am i suffering like this why do i feel like this why has life become so punishing um read this essay by oscar wilde and it will it will move you it will transmute the sorrow that you're experiencing, it will make you cry and in a beautiful way, like truly transcendent way. And that is what alchemy is. Mm. That's alchemy. Oh my goodness. Thank you for sharing so deeply, Rachel, because, you know, I'm a, I'm a fiend for all of this that you're sharing. And it's, it's the world that I've always lived in and moved in and this understanding of the split that we're put in, right? And that description you give of the spirit that's looking to ascend and transcend and, you know, this this light and let us transcend and the soul that actually wants to be in the dark and to be in candlelight and to be in, you know, we have it. We, we know when we're in the presence of soul. We know... Yeah. Um, you know, I was talking with my partner just the other day because he's a, you know, he's a recording artist and a composer, beautiful songwriter. And, you know, we we're talking about R&B and we're talking about soul and we're talking about like, what is it in that music that, mm-hmm. that really, that speaks to us on a soulful level? And it's like, and it is the, the what you're talking about it is our human life, mm-hmm. which is such a kaleidoscope of a of polar experiences of oppositional contradictory experiences yeah whereby you know those deep moments and I know we all know this but those deep moments of loss and grief and sorrow and pain are 
when we're in them, excruciating, but there's also the presence of that beauty and that grace and that humility and that compassion Mm -hmm. that comes from being brought to that place within ourselves that you are so beautifully describing in Oscar Wilde's journey. And for me, uh, you know, and, and we can take this back to the astrology, like learning for me, the map of astrology for me personally, but also for my clients and for the world has yeah. been so powerfully helpful to the alchemical work because within our personal astrology, right? We are given these contradictory elements, alchemically speaking, elementally speaking, to work with. And so, you know, in my own life, I'm a first house Leo. I have rising Leo. I have sun in Leo. I have Venus in Leo, all in the first house. Hello, here's the party. I have practically everything else is in the 12th house. Hello, not the party, right? And for me in my own life as an alchemist, I have been in a tremendous study of how to work with the the extreme light and the extreme dark, which is where I found myself this whole lifetime. You know, I have spent much of my life prior to y'all knowing me here in this iteration from the age, I would say, of 13 plus, working with basically marginalized populations. Mm-hmm. If you were old, decrepit, schizophrenic, incarcerated, you know, ousted by society, then that's who I was working with for most of my adult life up until I was in my 40s. Yeah. Genocide victims, trauma survivors, war survivors, veterans, you name it. And I was always like, what the heck am I doing? And then I had an astrology reading. <laughs> And the astrologer said to me, well, your moon in Cancer and your Mercury in Cancer and your Mars in Cancer are all in the 12th house. And that's the work that you, part of the work that you're here discovering is being with human suffering. You're all included. And I have to say that now at this point in my life, as someone who's found also the path of alchemy and magic and astrology as these tools, right, of awareness that really, really were the things that changed. Because I was a therapist and went through that traditional therapeutic training, but it wasn't until I found the mystery schools and I found alchemy that the thing that was missing for me also was then addressed, which was how do we come to the wholeness. And that's what you're speaking about. How do we, what are the the techniques and the sacred practices for working with that shadow material, not to eradicate it, to get rid of it, to be like, oh, it's bad, but to actually honor it and have a way to work with it so we can move it toward the light. And so I'm so curious in your own self, because you've done so much study and, you know, you talk about the body being the vessel, and this is our alchemical vessel. Is there some, from your experience, what's one of the most powerful ways that we can work with shadow? I just am so curious because I do so much work with the shadow and I'm always curious to hear from others what how you work with it or how you, yeah, alchemically speaking, work with it. Okay, so like a really simple way, the first step in the, well, the, Alchemical process has seven steps that correspond to the seven planets and to the seven chakras. Really simple, actually. Um, And you always start when you're trying to work with something that is dark or stuck or painful. You start with the root chakra, which corresponds to Saturn. So we all know the root chakra contains our our fears for survival, Mm -hmm. feeling unsupported, um, feeling like we don't have a mother, like we're abandoned children, you know, that, that feeling of neglect and, and fear. Yeah. And it's so easy for our creative energies to become trapped or frozen, which is kind of the alchemical metaphor. They become frozen mm-hmm. or they become heavy and dense like lead. Mm-hmm. which is the correspondent metal to Saturn. So mm-hmm. Saturn and lead, and lead is also poison. Mm-hmm. And so these these metals that correspond are incredibly deep symbols, metaphors for what's going on within us. So one of the beautiful things about lead is that even though it's dense and dark and lusterless and poison, it's also very soft and it melts easily. Meaning that if you... Thank goodness. Uh, <laughs> 
So if you apply any flame to it, if you're willing to burn it, it will change its form. It will melt and you can purify it. And so the first step that I always take when I have something that's plaguing me or tormenting me or seems to not change or I'm blocked creatively, which is another form of shadow because you're just sabotaging your own growth. Mm -hmm. You're, You're sabotaging your ability to access your divine birthright as a creator. So um, a simple way that anyone who's listening can do is I write out something called a prophecy of fear. And, you know, a lot of times when we're studying magic or or new age, new thought, uh, law of attraction, we become so afraid Mm -hmm. to actually say the things that are actually tormenting us. We don't say them out loud. We just let the voice of the tormentor silently, quietly drive us insane. And, and we say all these hateful things to ourselves. We believe all of these things, but we don't actually write it out or speak it out loud. Mm -hmm. And so the prophecy of fear is actually something that I did um, right before I started Alien Heart Astrology, because you better believe I was scared to become an astrologer. I did not have the natural bravado and confidence to just take a big leap like that and believe in myself fully. I was terrified. I had no idea how it would work out. I was afraid of the failure. I was afraid that I was not going to be able to make it happen. And I had no idea how to make it happen. I just had this dream. I just wanted to do something, but I didn't know Mm. how. I didn't have a plan. I have no business experience. I'd never had a social media presence. I had nothing like that. So I want to do this thing, but I have no idea how. So I'm blocked by this much fear. Mm. So I wrote out everything that I was afraid of. Mm-hmm. Every single thing in lurid detail. I let it all out. I just let this voice of fear tell me exactly why it wasn't going to work out. Tell me how much of a failure I was going to be, how humiliated I was going to be. <laughs> uh, how I was going to end up sleeping on my mom's couch, working at McDonald's, being grateful to work at McDonald's. Cause that's all I can do after this huge catastrophe. Mm. It was really melodramatic. And the thing that was really amazing about this exercise, this was the very first time I did this. Um, by the end of it, this went on for like three pages. You know, you just got to get this stuff out. Get it out. Because yeah, your own ego mind or your shadow, mm. it is incredibly manipulative. And it's also melodramatic. I mean, it really is. And so you just let this all out. Let it tell you all the terrible things. Say it all. And by the time that you're starting to lose steam, but for me, it was at the end of page three. This might be 10 pages for you. It might be one. I mean, you just let this out, let it out. Um, I started to feel this shift. I started to see for the first time, like, this isn't true. (laughs) This can't be true because even if I do fail, I'm not going to let this happen to me. And even if I do have a bad experience, I'm not going to respond like this. I'm not going to completely let myself collapse. I'm not going to allow life to beat me down this much and so by the end i started to see the deception in it i started to see the the false notes or hear the false notes i should say and when i was all done i burned it because in alchemy the very first step is calcination yeah and in the organic perspective like when you're actually working with materials like plant matter or uh, minerals you burn it down until it's ash that's calcination And so I did that literally. I just took these pages and I burned them. I didn't hold on to them. This is nothing precious. You don't need to save it. You want to burn it to ash. And I blew it into the wind. And this is one of the most miraculous things that has ever happened to me because one of the things I was afraid of is how am I going to get clients? I'm afraid that meeting strangers is not a good, I can't have people at my apartment. I was like, I'm not willing to have strangers in my apartment. And where am I going to find a safe place to read for people? Am I going to do natal chart readings at local Starbucks? And how am I going to find people? I'm scared. I was scared. You know, I'm like, how? Am I? I don't have a solution to any of these problems. Five minutes after I burned this prophecy of fear, um, this woman that owned a vitamin store in my neighborhood, she texted me and she said, are you giving astrology readings yet? Because I have a client for you. <laughs> I kid you not. and you can use my store because she had a little space in the back of her vitamin store and she had a client that had come around because it was a vitamin shop and so that's low-key like a new age hot spot you know and 
So there was somebody that came in and asked her, like, do you know where to get an astrology reading? And she was like, yeah, I actually do. So she hooked me up with a little spot in the back of her store and somebody who was safe, who was vetted. She knew this woman. And I made my first hundred dollars doing something I loved in a safe place. And that day that I gave the reading, I met two more people in the store and I started talking to them about astrology. I didn't actually give them an official reading. I just started talking to them about what I knew. And before I knew it, by the end of that day, uh, I find out that one of the men is a restaurateur and he invited me to come that evening to his restaurant with my husband to be served a five course meal with fine wine, just as a gift for the advice that I gave him. And so within 48 hours of doing this prophecy of fear, my life had completely changed. And I was like, uh, um, wow, something had been really locked inside that just wanted to get out. And I released it and it transformed. And so, you know, I, that's the first step in working with the shadow. Um, and it's easy meaning that it does not take a tremendous amount of time or labor. All you need is a pen or pencil and a piece of paper and something that makes fire. <laughs> um, right, but yeah. it's a really, really, and I, thank you, because this is what, you know, the work that I'm doing all the time, same thing, right? It's like there's actions to be taken. There's something that you did in there, though, that I think is really important to underscore for all of us as we as we work with this, which is, and you've been saying it all along, which is really to do with the light of our own consciousness, right? Because there's a moment in there where you write out your prophecy of fear, right? Our shadow fears, and this is how we, from my languaging, this is how we bring the love to the fear, right? Is we, we, we embrace it rather than pushing it away. We're always told in this culture to try and get rid of the thing. Yeah. The symptom, like we treat the symptom and not the root cause. So we're always trying to get rid of the symptom. We don't ever want to look at what's causing the actual symptom. Yeah. So this, the, the, the root cause is not to be gotten rid of because that's your prima materia. That's your, that's your shadow material. That's where the light is hidden in the darkness down there somewhere. And there's tremendous gifts in that darkness for you. And so there's this action where what I hear that you did, which is, this is the profound piece for me, is that in the action of writing out your prophecy of fear, you're bringing the light of your consciousness to the fear. You're embracing the fear. You're giving it a voice. You're loving it. You're saying, come on in, come take a seat at my table, yes. you know, and let's have a chat. And then in that process, your consciousness is beginning the very powerful process of discernment mm -hmm. of what the fear is saying, right? And you are now listening to the fear and you're going, wait, wait, hang on a second. I think that, well, I get that that bit might actually feel kind of true, but this it's a little bit overblown and you're being a bit dramatic over here and I don't know that that's actually true like you're not going to be homeless on the street are you really I mean like okay you could be but that's not really what's happening right so there's that process where there's another part of you that gets to come in and reflect and in that reflective process that's the fire that's the light that's the spark that begins to soften the fear so the fear can begin to relax a bit the lead gets melted and within that melting you are able to then you know one of the other alchemical principles is sublimatio which is what you did you burned it and you you blew it into the air and you went, okay, let it reorganize itself. Yep. Let's okay. throw it up in the air and let me see what comes back down. And within okay. that moment, magic happens, seemingly. Yes. Seemingly magic happens, but the magic is really the shift in perception. Yes, that's exactly right. right? Thank you. <laughs> and that is, you know, and that is where we are training ourselves, my loves. For any of you who are fascinated by this, like me, like Rachel, like I could wax lyrical about this stuff all day long because this is what changed my life oh. was understanding that I was at cause in this and that there was ways that I could creatively, imaginatively, ritually work with, ceremonially work with myself mm -hmm. to shift my perception. And the, 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 the evidence I had shifted my perception, as you named, is that the outpicturing of our reality then shifts. That's right. That's how we know we've changed something inside is when the outside starts to show us something a bit different. Like the woman calls you, 
here. I've got this, you know, to the very problem that you were stuck with. Yes. And, and this is, this is, the, this is the delight of our humanity that we get to do this. We are um, so guided and supported. And even though when we start to practice alchemy and magic, we're taking responsibility for our reality and, and, and responsibility for the gifts that we've been given, there's such humility in it as well. And I think that that's often misunderstood. Like right. we are not trying to dominate reality. No. Instead, we become more receptive to what's actually trying to come through for us. Instead of blocking, essentially, light, you know, cannot be uh, destroyed by darkness. Darkness only blocks light. And so, when we are in darkness, there's just an eclipse. There's just something uh. in And you remove that. And, and that's, that's one of my favorite ways, um, moving up the ladder. Um, we, we, we move into Jupiter and that's a process called dissolution. But my second favorite, uh, shadow work exercise, because the shadow is actually the first three operations mm -hmm. of alchemy, the first three chakras. Um, it takes, it's a journey through the shadow. You don't get out of it quick. It's not just the, I'm done. Right. Totally. <laughs> There's more. There's always more, you know, and, and, um, so my, my second favorite exercise is thanking your enemies. And this yes. my favorite assignment for working with Mars and the solar plexus and the alchemical operation of separation. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm a kind I get very, as a Virgo, I have very high standards, very high standards. You can I, be a little bit judgy, you know, there's no goes. I'm very judgy. I am. And, and it's because, you know, I really do have a, strong sense of morality what is right and wrong and i admit that it can be rather self-righteous at times but there's a line i have quite a temper you know and when people cross a certain line i'm really cool until there's a certain line crossed and then i can become so wrathful and livid and just get really caught up in hatred it's not a pretty thing i do not enjoy it but it's there i have that kind of rage and um so in order to try to work with that yeah i'm like i don't really want to uh, give it up because it's addictive you know rage is also it's like a drug you know oh, feels yeah. like drug. i'm so right and these people <laughs> it but feels I really am i'm so right yeah, I'm so right. And, you know, honestly, from an objective perspective, sometimes that's true. Like, there are real wrong moves that people can make. And there really are unethical things that people do. So I am not even trying to justify people's horrible behavior. However, thank your enemies is a really it's hard. It's a challenging exercise because when you identify a real enemy, and this works for personal relationships uh, <laughs> friends. it works for work relationships your boss if your boss is your enemy it also works for people in the public eye the public sphere politicians or actors or whatever you know because people spend a lot of time hating people that they don't even know you know politicians and world leaders and celebrities uh and they also spend a lot of time hating the people in their lives that have wronged them uh, or people that are, you know, elbowing them out of the way at work, whatever it may be. And so thanking your enemies is actually sitting down and writing this person a letter and genuinely from the deepest place within you of sincerity, thanking them for what they have actually done for your character, because what your enemies have done for you is they have, perhaps they made you stronger. Maybe they actually kept you, uh, on your toes. Maybe they inspired you to grow. I know personally, like I really had to figure this out uh, slowly, but once I did, I realized, you know what? When somebody is awful to me, I actually become extremely motivated to grow. One of the reasons I'm an astrologer, for example, is because a professional astrologer, I was doing this work for a long time for my friends. It was my hobby. I didn't think of myself as somebody that could do it professionally. It just really didn't cross my mind maybe once or twice, but it was a very like distant pipe dream. Um, I was becoming a teacher. I was on a totally different track. 
And um, I got a professional astrology reading with somebody who was very admired, like a big player in the world of astrology. And it was like a really elite thing. And I was really excited. And my reading was so awful. I was mistreated and abused in this session. I really was. Like, I was told all these terrible things about myself. I was told that I would never grow past certain levels. I was, I was basically told, like, your fate is pretty dim and you better just get used to it. And I was, I was in wow. so, yeah, I was so angry and shocked and also really hurt. Yeah. And what did it do? Yeah. As I left that, I was like, you know what? I'm a better astrologer than this person. I would never make somebody feel like that. No right. way. No, right. how would I ever, even though I know less and I acknowledge that I was like, okay, I know less than this person. I'm not as far along. I'm not as high up. I'm not as scholarly, but nevertheless, I was like, I know for a fact that if somebody came to me and they wanted to talk about their life and they wanted someone to look at their chart, I would do better. And therefore I'm going to, and that's why I thank your enemies. Cause you're like, well, if it weren't for that aggressor antagonist, how would I have become this strong, awake, alert, poised on top of things person that's what enemies do for us they wake us up and you know like that is so cool though because you know when you I mean and and understanding the way to work with this you know in I I may I I can't help but think you know it's like in any great drama there has to be a protagonist and an antagonist like you gotta have if there's no drama, if there's no conflict, if it's not very interesting. Like we're not, gonna, we're not going to watch it. We're not going to be captivated and interested as to what the antagonist is bringing forward. And we all love a good antagonist. Come on. And so when you look at it from that perspective in your own life and thanking the enemies, and I'm I'm sitting here and I'm already, I'm already doing my little, you know, like, like who are those people that I'm still like, you know, I'm... I, I too am somebody that has really had a lot of prime material in the area of rage. Yeah. That's bit, that was really the thing I've had to get a handle on this lifetime. And if you do speak, speak astrobabble, then you'll know that I, I have Mars in Cancer in the twelfth house, which is basically rage. It's yeah. like, do not fuck with me. Like, yeah. just don't, because I will appear really cute until yeah. I really am not. And it's very fast mm-hmm. and it's very intense because it's like the hidden mama bear that basically will devour you if she thinks you're doing something that's not okay. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, getting a handle on that energy has been like intense because it's not like I have casual feelings about things. No, they're not casual. Like, Oh, I, I have a feeling about this. It's like, no, I have a feeling about this. Right. Yeah. And I've had to really learn how to work with what has been a very destructive force in my life. Like I've destroyed a lot of relationships and I've caused a lot of pain from that rage towards myself and others. So it, you know, and for those of you who know what I'm talking about, it's like to discover that we can work alchemically with that by actually recognizing those that we are negatively projecting onto, right? Those that we are trying to get to own our hatred and our shadow and realizing, oh, that's actually me. (laughs) That's the shift in perception that's the magic. Not to say that it doesn't, that person doesn't deserve to, you know, be brought up, whatever you think they need to be done, right? This is, you know, like there, there's value in that. And it's not to say that we, you know, that people shouldn't be held to account for their actions and all the rest of it. But the true magic can only happen inside of us. The That's true right. shift, exactly. you know. And so I want to encourage you to do these couple of exercises. One, the the, the 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 beautiful prophecy of fear that you talked about that whole thing of like what are we talking about on that level and then the second one around you know thanking your enemies and really choose a juicy one choose one that you really like I don't want to do that one I don't like that person at all do that one <laughs> I have someone in mind right now that I'm still resolving with you know you know how we have certain antagonists in our life and they just you know they they often are a family <laughs> members well, we can't casually seemingly get rid of them they they just keep turning up and you know um and i always say you know this this is this is the work of that light and shadow dance whereby we're engaging with what the storyline is that we're in like because that's shifting the story when you thank your enemy rather than pushing them away you're bringing you know there's that famous saying 
you know, bring your enemies even closer, right? Exactly. And there's a reason why, because they will, they will be teaching you character teaching you as to who you want to be. Like as an astrologer, who do you want to be? Mm-hmm. Is not, is somebody who's, you know, n- never going to look at someone's chart and only give them the shadow version of themselves. You're going to give them the aspiration, the part that they're growing into. I mean, that's your job, right? Which by the way, Rachel does so beautifully. And I had a reading with her earlier on this year. So if anyone is feeling like, wow, you could do with some Rachel medicine, I agree with you. Um, tremendous reading that I'm still working with. And I just re-listened to it the other day because this is a really personally for me, a big year of transits and a lot's going on in my chart. And I, I knew at the beginning of the year that I needed, <laughs> I needed some, some expert reflection on what was happening. Cause I could tell by just my um, intermediate knowledge, by looking at my own chart, I was like, Ooh, Ooh, there's a lot happening here. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I just want to say that out loud. If you're somebody who's interested to learn more, have a reading with Rachel, but don't just have a reading with her. There's also tons of, I mean, Rachel's quite prolific. I have to say that, darling. There's tons of courses that she's done and webinars and all kinds of things that really, this is tip of the iceberg of what she shared on this podcast here today around you know, anything you could want to study around the magic, around astrology, around alchemy, around the whole thing. There's a lot that you can learn from this lady here. Thank you. <laughs> You're so welcome. You're so welcome. You know, um, I, I I could talk to you for hours and I'm aware that we probably should stop because we're at the top of the hour. Um, where can people find you? I mean, we'll have all your details on the page, but is there anything upcoming that you'd like to share or Yeah. Oh, well, um, the best way to keep in touch with me is to sign up for my newsletter, which is available in the description. Um, aeolianheart.com is my website. I post monthly astrology forecasts there, but if you sign up for my newsletter, I'll just send them all to you. So you can always be updated on what's coming up in the season ahead. And on my newsletter, I will also keep you apprised of how you can sign up for my Patreon to get weekly forecasts, uh, upcoming classes that I have. Like you said, I do have a lot of smaller classes and these are kind of mini webinars that are devoted to specific astrological transits, um, such as the upcoming Mercury into Gemini transit, which is my money magic class. (laughs) It's called cash flow money magic with Mercury and Gemini. Um, there are other mini classes that I have devoted to all the planets, you know, to Venus and Mars. So depending on when these planets are in their strongest signs, I will offer magical classes that will help you to understand the transit, but also to tap into the magical potential and the alchemical potential of that season, which is one of the most amazing things about astrology is that it puts you into this beautiful rhythm with the cosmos. So you're very aligned with natural cycles of ebb and flow. Um, I'm also, I'm teaching a class called Discovery, the Art and Soul of Astrology. That is my- Do that one. Do that one. If you want to get <laughs> a good dose of Rachel's medicine, that's a brilliant class. I actually took that class myself. I don't even know when it was, but I loved it. And I thought oh it was God. really, really useful. Well, I would be happy to offer like a 10% discount to people. Who Check it out. Check so, it out. Good, good, good. I'll leave a link to discovery and coupon code priestess presence. Great. Thank yeah. you, Rachel. That's really generous. And, and I really highly recommend it because it, what it, especially if you're interested in the interweave between the planets and the alchemy and the magic and understanding that a little bit more, Rachel really does go into more depth around that. And of course, if you haven't yet read the Emerald Tablet and you're curious about alchemy, you have to, I mean, it's like the fundamental text of Western esoteric magic and alchemy. You really need to read that. Um, You know, it's not necessarily the easiest read. It's not like a light read. You do... (laughs) But it's really worth it if you're super interested in learning more about those seven stages of alchemy that um, Rachel's been talking about that form the basis of the 13 Moon Mystery School, the Rosa Mystica Mystery School, and pretty much everything that I'm doing is based on that map. So 
Oh, with that said, thank you for being here. I loved chatting with you today. And I know everyone here will have enjoyed this. And like I said, if you want to know more, you know where to find Rachel. And if you want to just share about what you what pinged you around this, or even what you've discovered through these couple of alchemical shadow work pieces that have been shared here today, then you can do so over on my Facebook page or on Instagram. Um, where I'll be posting this episode. All right, my loves, stay, stay tuned and I will be back with yet another great episode diving into all things magic, mystery, revolutionary, evolutionary healing and just a tad bit naughty. Love you all. Bye. I want to thank you for listening to this episode of The Red Podcast. It's been an honor to have you here with us. As red women, we are here leading from the edges of our own evolution, birthing new worlds into being through our bodies, our hearts, our minds, and our beautiful presence. If you would like to be in contact with me, I love hearing from you. You can find me on Instagram at elaine.kalila or over on my website, elainekalila.com. And lastly, I'd like to invite you, if you loved this episode, to go ahead and share this with someone that you think might enjoy it too. It's through us sharing our hearts with one another and inspiring one another that we reveal our red, that evolutionary edge that is just waiting to be fully expressed in all aspects of our world. Until next time, many, many blessings.